0: Hello, everyone. Uh, So you might have seen the talk from Kat just before. It's really interesting, and you should keep it in mind while we uh, make this one, as there are a few things that might overlap a bit. So first, who am I? My name is Mael. I used to work for the past two years and a half at Facebook as part of the JavaScript foundation team. My job there was to maintain the infrastructure uh, used by uh, JavaScript engineers. And as part of this, I came to contribute to Yarn. And even though I'm not longer part of Facebook, I'm still managing Yarn. As time passed, I started to take more and more responsibilities on the project, and here I am today talking about the work we've been doing for the V2, which is in no small part based on my observation after using Yarn at scale for a few years. Something I like to remember when doing this kind of talk is why does Yarn exist in the first place? How did it get created? It all started with three companies, Facebook, Google, and Expo, which felt like something was missing in their infrastructure. They figured that the existing solution didn't meet all their needs in terms of stability, performance, and user experience. And so they decided to try something different. To try something new, a different solution with different architectural choices, different trade offs, uh, that should, would still be compatible with the ecosystem at large. That was a huge bet, but I think we largely succeeded, and that's how Yarn got created. Since then, we kept this philosophy, and I think of Yarn as a kind of laboratory. We try things, we experiment, and find new solutions. Speaking of features, before talking about Yarn, what Yarn 2 will bring to the table in 2019 and beyond, we must first go quickly over what it already contributed, and more importantly, what are the things it did right. That's important to know, because that's how we can ensure that we won't lose what makes our core values when we make the transition from the V1 to the V2. And this is an open question, by the way. I would very much like to hear what you think Yarn did right. So please come see me after the talk and share your stories. That's the fuel we use to make Yarn what it is. Ever since Yarn got created, Something we deemed very important was stability. We want JavaScript project to be stable. We want you to trust your project, and we're ready to go the extra mile to achieve this goal. Often, this is achieved by teaching good practices and letting you know when something is wrong, before it can even cause any harm. So we work to remove unsafe patterns from the equation as much as possible. Our log files ensure that the install dependencies are always the same. Our install strategy, plug and play, Prevents hoisting to suddenly cause your application to break at deploy time, and our offline mirror ensures that the network will never be a problem in deployment. Speaking of the network, this is one thing in particular that uh, we worked really well for us at Facebook. We barely even noticed when the registry was down. In fact, we often learned about it through Twitter to, through tweets. Really, despite the offline mirror being one of our less known feature, it might be one of the most important ones in my mind. You should definitely check it out. And if you don't, it's fine, because it will soon become unmissable starting from the V2 where it will be enabled by default. Going back to the things we did right, war spaces are also pretty high on the list. If you don't know them pretty well, they allow you to split your monolithic applications into sub-projects that can live independently from each other while still being able to cross-reference each other. You can see them as a kind of declarative yarn link. For example, you can see here that we've been able to split our huge blob of dependencies into smaller pieces, one for the back end, one for the front end. Workspaces initially came from the community, but as the time passed and we noticed how much they improved our own project, we decided to make it a core feature in Yarn. And that was a, good, a great idea. Given the success they got, we will be doubling down our efforts to make them first class citizens, as you will soon see. Finally, the last core value that we definitely should mention is the overall user experience. It doesn't seem much, but it's actually a big reason why our users uh, say they use Yarn. The small things, like the run keyword not being needed, or the merge conflicts automatically being resolved, those things aren't the big shiny things you typically uh, on our slides, but they are the commands that you use every day, the ones that shape your workflow. And that's something we keep in mind when working on the V2. Okay, so now we have to talk a bit about the elephant in the room. Why are we even talking about a new major Yarn release today? About half of you already use Yarn in your daily life regret success, so how would a new major release affect you? Do we really have something significant to bring to the table? And if so, what? Something to realize is that Yarn got created in 2016. Since then, a lot of things happened. For one, we released a lot of major features: Spaces in 2017, plug and play in 2018. Zip loading is coming in 2019, and we will go to that later. Our architecture needed a refresh to stay up-to-date with all those new concepts that didn't even exist when Yarn got created, and to support the new workflow they unlock. Additionally, Yarn got initially created as an NPM clone. As such, we inherited various behaviors that don't mesh well with the user experience we want to provide, which, as I mentioned, is something we really care about. So for those technical reasons, we needed to build something new, to build a new, modern foundation more suited to what we had in mind. But that's not the only reason. That the main reason, in my mind, is that we wanted to give you more power. We wanted to make it easier for you to contribute to Yarn, to write your own features, to fix what blocks you, to not have to rely on us. After all, Yarn is a community project. We don't want to work for you. We want to work with you. So our architecture needed to reflect that. And for this reason, we decided to make it very modular so that you would be able to write your own plugins. In fact, most of the features in Yarn 2 are actually plugins that got aggregated together in a single binary. In the same vein, we moved our codebase to a more familiar stack, TypeScript. And we hope that by doing this, it will decrease the time needed for you to understand the pieces, how they fit together, in such a way that you will be able to help us maintain this critical part of your infrastructure and extend its scope to new height. Now, enough about the abstract talk. Um, Let's dive a bit into what the next major version of Yarn will concretely bring to the table. The first thing you will notice is that we revamped the output. What Yarn prints is how it communicates with you, and we wanted to make it easier for you to figure out what happens and highlight the most important information. This translates in two important ways. First, we now print message codes that can be Googled for more details on what a specific message means, and in the case of errors, how to solve them. Secondly. We are now using colors with a specific purpose, to highlight the dynamic parts of our messages. It's one of those very tiny things that I mentioned that happen to matter a lot when you work with yarn every day. By using the colors at the right place, we aim to decrease the cognitive overhead of using yarn. You won't have to fight to understand it. The V2 also comes with new commands. You might have heard about Yarn Create in the V1, which allowed you to download and run any package prefixed by the word create. Well, in the V2, we decided to expand it and, cre- and build Yarn DLX. Yarn DLX, very similar to its sibling NPX, can install packages from the registry without mutating your local project. It allows you to run one of scripts without worrying about having to revert your changes after well, the, the fact. Let's see a quick demonstration of it. So, here we have a JavaScript file, which is a Webpack configuration, and we will want to minify it. Usually, we would have to add the minifier terser into our package.json, call terser, and then remove terser from the package.json. But by using dlx, you just have to run yarn dlx terser and the name of the file, and yarn will automatically download everything that's needed and run it locally. But even better, since we are using plug-and-play, it means that we don't have to create a non-modules anymore. And if we don't have to create a non-modules anymore, then dlx at the second invocation will be just as fast as it can be, because we will not have to fetch the package again. So if I run yarn dlx terser indexjs again, it will be super fast. So that's four new commands. We have other ones. But we also improved the existing ones. Various changes were also made to make it easier to work with monorepos or to fix long standing issues that we had. Yarn Hub can now upgrade a package across all your workspaces at once. Yarn Link is now able to properly resolve peer dependencies even when you link an external package into your current project. Yarn Add and Various other commands now accept an interactive flag that instructs Jan to ask you for advice in various situations. And it's not only a toy. The interactive mode, for example, allows you to quickly reuse a version of a package that another one of your workspaces is already using. You don't need to grep into your package.json anymore to, fin- to find that out. Speaking about greping into package.json, We are introducing constraints. Wouldn't it be nice if you could just check that your project obeys some rules, like linting, some kind of ESLint, but for package.json? We thought so, too. And one of our newest additions are constraints. Constraints are basically lint rules written in Prologue and not JavaScript. That might be surprising. But Prologue makes them extremely small and powerful. In the example you see on the screen, you can see a simple rule that just forbids all of our workspaces from having Babel listed as a regular dependency versus a development dependency. In fact, with only two more lines, we could extend this to automatically move the dependency within the dev dependency field. Constraints are very powerful and have many usages. You can see some of the screen. And we will provide some recipes in our documentation to get started. But you will quickly see that it's super easy to write new ones that are directly adapted to your use case. Now we can see them in practice a bit. So here I have a project with two workspaces, my front end and my back end. Both of my front end and my back end are depending on Lodash, except that they depend on different versions of Lodash. Additionally, both of those projects are actually TypeScript and should probably depend on TSLib. But they don't. So it would be nice if there was a way to detect all those problems and fix them as best as we can. Yarn has a new command that is yarn constraints check. When yarn constraints check is called, it will validate the project against the defined rules. So in this case, you can see that it has been able to detect that backend and frontend must depend on TSLib and that they depend on conflicting versions of Lodash. Now, if I run yarn-constraints-fix, yarn will automatically try to fix all the problems that it detects and can fix. So in this case, for example, you can see that it has been able to add ts TS-lib to the dependencies. It hasn't been able to correct the m- mismatch in Lodash because it's ambiguous. It doesn't know which one you want to use. In order to fix those kind of issues, well, you just have the gold old Yarn add. If you run Yarn add with interactive mode, as I mentioned before, Yarn will ask you which version of Yarn you want to use amongst multiple possible ones. In this situation, it is smart enough to tell you that Lodash is already used in two workspaces. So which one do you want to use? And by using this feature, you don't have to think about how should I fix the problem? Oh, that's hard. You just have to validate, and Yarn will automatically uh, continue and do its stuff. If we run Yarn constraint check again, you will see that all the errors have been properly uh, fixed. And if we check the package.json, everything has been applied. Now, something else that we can do with constraints, because of how powerful they are, is use them as a query engine now this is a bit interesting by using yarn constraints query you get to ask yarn what do you know about my project so for example in this case by using one simple query i'm able to ask yarn to tell me all the dependencies and all the ranges in all of my workspaces but I, want, I can't be more precise if I want to. I just have to specify one of the parameter, and Jan will be able to just filter those. So that's the, prob- that, that's the power of the constraints. Another feature that we are working on, and that is maybe the biggest feature that we will um, ship, is zero install. Zero install isn't actually a feature. It's more of a concept. And it's more aimed for applications than uh, libraries, even though they work for both. The idea is never run yarn install again. That might remind you something. <laughs> so the idea behind this is that if a code needs to run, this code will fail. Even though we try our best to make a package manager that never fails. From time to time, we are not free of making a bug or making a mistake, and it will crash at some point. Or if it's not us, maybe it's on you. For example, maybe at some point your file system will become read-only, and then running Yarn install will not work. That actually happened to me before. So in order for something to work every time, it it must not run. So with zero install, the concept is simple. You just add all your yarn files into the repository. And then you don't need to run yarn install, because everything will be there. So now I know what you think. You're saying that committing the non-models directory is bad. But remember that with Plug and Play, we don't have a non-models directory anymore. And Plug and Play is by default in the V2. And the problem with committing a non-models was that non-models contained 20,000 text files. You might remember I mentioned zip loading before. With Yarn 2, instead of generating a non-models, instead of generating an packed cache, we just download each package that you use, and we store them within your project, or elsewhere if you don't want to. Which means that for each package that you use, you will have exactly one archive. And that's peanuts for VCS to support. That's very easy. We actually discussed it with GitHub Force before, before breaking their infra, and they told us it would be fine. So what does zero install bring to the table? Kat mentioned it, it improved the developer experience by a large factor. We don't have to run yarn install between git pull, git checkout, git rebase, all those commands. Peer reviewers also know which package have been added, because they just have to look at the files changed and see what, um, what tables have been added into the project. It's faster, simpler, and more stable for deployments because, again, you don't have to run yarn at all, so there is no risk of yarn crashing in production. Additionally, you will always have exactly the same state on production as you have on development because that's the guarantee we provide. If it works locally, it will work in production. Additionally, it allows you to skip the CI configuration step. So in this case, we can see a quick demonstration of um, zero install. So you can see that we have a small project that is using Webpack 3. And we would like to update to Webpack 4. So we create a new branch. And here, we will uh, just run yarn add Webpack 4. So yarn is now running, downloading all the dependencies as it always did. And if we do, after that, uh, git status, we will see something very interesting. But first, yeah, you can see that um, Webpack got updated correctly, of course. And now if we run git status, you can see something interesting. Instead of having a non-models, we have, as I mentioned, one zip for each package. If we commit all this, then we have everything we need in order to run our applications. So now let's say that uh, suddenly a project manager comes into your room and tells you, hey, we need to fix this problem on master, uh, and it needs to be done now. So here, you need to go switch uh, quickly into the Webpack 3 branch, make your change, and commit it. But just after switching, you don't have to run your uninstall, because everything is exactly like it should be. Your project is always in a good state. And once you're done, you just have to switch back on your peer um, of uh, Webpack 4, and everything will work just the same. By having this workflow and um, simplifying context switches, it makes you much more productive because then you can work on multiple features at any point in time. In fact, it's super useful for me uh, as, uh, as a Yarn maintainer because I can quickly check out all the poor peers that are submitted to Yarn and see how they work or fix them myself if there is something that needs to be fixed. Something that was before very painful because I had to be careful about which st- in which state was my project is now super easy. In fact, Yarn2 itself is using uh, zero install. So, for example, here you can find that I'm cloning the Yarn repository. So, it, it's a bit slower than it would be if you didn't have those tarballs inside your repository, but it's still much faster than it would be if you were to clone your repository and then run Yarn install. So, in the end, there's a kind of balance here. Um, and yeah, there's a balance here. So the clone is about to finish. And starting from now, you can use any command that you would typically use. So for example, here I can run the uh, unit test for Yarn. I don't have to run Yarn install in order to install Jest or anything. Everything is always there. So it makes it much easier for our contributors to jump in into the project. They just have to clone and run the command. They don't have to think more about it. So let's recap a bit. We have an improved logging. We have new commands. We have improved commands. We have added package.json linting. We have removed the need to run yarn install. That, that has to be worth a major bump, right? And of course, that's just the tip of the iceberg. Uh, this is only a 30-minute talk, and there's only so much that we can discuss here. Fortunately, we have a much more comprehensive change log on our GitHub repository. I encourage you to look at it to learn more about what's coming. The V2 is still flagged experimental, but it's starting to be stable enough that it's a good candidate to bootstrap your future projects. The official release is still to be determined, but we're aiming somewhere in the second half of 2019 once we will have ensured the transition path is as smooth as possible. A big thanks should go to our contributors, of course. For the V2 in particular, we've had the pleasure to welcome various new people who simply stepped in into the project and improved what the feature they liked. I said Yarn is a community project at the beginning of my talk, and I really meant it. We are always looking for new contributors. More than that, we are ready to go the extra mile and help you get started. Yarn is a huge project with a huge reach, huge impact, but we still aim to make it approachable by anyone. Plus, we have cool T-shirts for the V2 if you contribute to the project, of course. So I will now leave you. I hope you enjoyed this talk. Uh, Please come ask your question when you see me in the hall, I will be thrilled to share more about the work we do. Thank you and have a good evening.